Attention in the pits. Attention in the pits. How many 44s do you remember since we're on episode 44? You're live on the Car on Two Wheels podcast. May I help you? Am I? Should I drop it now or should we wait till next episode? But I think we should have some some warning. Welcome to the Car on Two Wheels podcast. It's me, Chris Carter. I'm the host this week. And uh, with us, as always, usually the host is Chris Carr. How are you, sir? I'm doing just fine. I'm uh, enjoying the fact that I don't didn't have to prepare too much for this show other than to figure out what I might say, guessing about what might be asked. So get after This it. is always fun for me, and I hope it's fun for everybody that's listening. Like, you really don't have too much of a heads up on these things. They're coming at you with whether you know they are or not. Like, you, you're answering off, off the cuff. And uh, I love that because it's it doesn't give you time to prepare an answer or be bullshit an answer. It's it's uh it's straight off your off your head and uh, how you feel about things. So I love that. I'm sure the people love that. And boy, did we get some questions this week. Um, I mentioned here before we started recording. I'm gonna mention it again. Uh, if you didn't get your question answered in this week's episode, do not worry. Next week, we will make sure to cover the ones that we don't cover this week. There are a lot. So, uh, and the topic that we chose for next week, um, kind of encompasses a lot, what a lot of these questions are, are about. So, uh, we'll get you answered soon enough. Uh, don't worry too much if you don't hear your answer this week. Um, that's Can I ask one question? You just did. Okay, a second one. Yes, you got it. Or a third. That, that would go forever. <laughs> That'll it? just keep going. All right. How many 44s do you remember since we're on episode 44? I only know I only know B-Rob. All right. I'm trying to I my go-to was always Alex Jorgensen. Oh. He's number 44 in the 70s and the okay. 80s. Chris Kaiser, the Flying Hawaiian. I love that. Actually from Kona, Hawaii. That's amazing. I think he was actually born in Washington, but he's his fam- family owned a Honda shop uh, in Kona, of Kona, Hawaii. Hawaii. Yep. And didn't uh, there's somebody else that ran a 44 recently too, but maybe not in in twins. Maybe I don't know, man. B Rob is the only one that sticks out in my head, but I'm still new to it all, so I don't know. There you go. All right, enough of that. All right, let's get into it. Get after it. And we're going to start I'm gonna uh, we're going to start water. start pretty light and easy here. So, uh when was when and where did Chris Carr win his last main event? Oh gosh. Let's do let's do Is a two-part cl- let's do a two-part answer here. National and non-national cuz I'm sure they're different, right? Yes. Na- last national win was Indy Mile 2008. Okay. Um and then last other races, does the first leg of Fight Club main event count? It counts for me. <laughs> I mean, I didn't win the two out of three, but I won one. I would say that's impressive considering uh, and, what you were up against. And I was leading when Jared Meese seized his bull taco. Yep. You were. I saw it. I watched it live. That was good yeah. shit. Um, so when you said 2008 was Indy was your last, uh, grand national win. When, when was your last national race? 
last national race was Pomona 2011. Okay. Yeah. I got Yeah, you. I about bit the farm coming off a of turn four on the 25th lap. Mm. Yep. I mm. about kissed the front wheel. Yikes. Uh, I was running fourth, but dropped to seventh. <laughs> I got you. Indy, Indy's a pretty good one to have as your last last Grand National win, though, right? Yeah, that was that was pretty cool because it was part of uh, the MotoGP's return to the first MotoGP weekend at the Brickyard. Okay. And I think uh, I think the AFT races, uh, well, they're not a they weren't AFT then. Um, were the only uh, races all weekend long to get checkered flags. Because okay. everything else was either shortened and uh, because of Hurricane Katrina. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Um, what would you say is your most satisfying win? So out of seventy-eight wins, I got to pick one. Yeah, your most well, your most satisfying. Like, what did you get the most satisfaction out of? Which one? Um, making good decisions uh, throughout the course of a day kind of holding your cards close to your vest and then doing something that nobody expects you to do um, going into the main event and then have be the only one to do it and then go out and spank them. And that was the 99 Sacramento mile. Okay. I love Threw it. a continental on at the very last minute. We had been talking about it all day long, didn't run the tire all day long at all and threw it on for the main event. And uh, that's back when you had an op- option of different brands of tires. Right. And we threw it on, and I went out and won by a straightaway. Do you remember uh, who was on the podium with you for that one? I know Parker was second, <laughs> but he was a straightaway back. I, oh, I didn't, really? I didn't, have very, I didn't have very many of those where I uh, spanked Parker by a straightaway on a mile. At Sacramento, that, that too. Night. That's that's pretty yeah, bad. That night we did. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I love it. Uh, so next question here. Uh, Flat Out Friday had a pretty impressive crowd by the looks of it, right? Like I was there. I saw the crowd. It was pretty impressive. Um, yeah. What's the most attended event that you've ever raced in? When and where was that race? Well, I, I wouldn't say uh, I know the official number, um, uh-huh. but the Houston Astrodome in, in 1985 – I think uh, both nights had between probably twenty and thirty thousand. Oh wow! Um, at the Astrodome, and then uh, I'd say the what seemed like the largest crowd of people that I ever raced in front of was uh, a supermoto race in Mate, Belgium, back in the mid two thousands. Two mile long track that seemed like they were three four deep on both sides all the way around with you know, grandstands that were full everywhere. Um, that was that was quite an experience there. But I, I'd say for flat track, definitely uh, astronome races in the that's badass in '85. I think you uh, you talked a little. You and I probably talked a little bit about that Belgium race offline before. Is that the one that would like went through the city? You said. Well, I can't call it a city um, <laughs> uh, because it was a very rural um, Belgium location gotcha. the town of mate and the town didn't have a traffic light it had a traffic circle <laughs> and on one corner of the circle if that i know that doesn't make sense but um <laughs> uh, there was a gas station and uh that was turn one was around a like a, a gas station slash bar <laughs> which what you wouldn't be able to get away with here in a, here in the u.s 
Unless you're at um, a buffalo chip. You got away with it there, yeah, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. But this was, I mean, this was, you know, rural country roads. And uh, and then we kind of fingered off the, the traffic circle on the four roads that kind of came together. And then, uh, or two roads that crossed each other. And then it went back behind the grandstands and they put in a, a dirt section that, you know, had some, some rollers and then a, a step up jump. And then um, it kind of went behind one set of grandstands and it turned left and then turned right. Hold on. We're going to bring this guy live. Oh yeah. You're live on the car on two wheels podcast. May I help you? Hi, how are you? Hey. I'm re- I'm recording my show and you're interrupting it. Are you on right now? Yes, I am, and so are you, by the way. Should I call in? No, you can't call in. Sorry, you just did, though. You have a question. This episode is Ask Car Anything, so go ahead and state your question. All right, so are you really on air? Yes. Yes. I'm recording right now. Okay. So, will you tell everybody the story about um, the night before you um, won Ascot? What happened to you when you were driving behind Kevin Atherton? <laughs> no. <laughs> can anybody can anybody um, hear my question? Yeah, everybody can hear your question. <laughs> All right. Well, will you tell that story on Accelerate TV sometime? Yes, I will. Okay, that's the only question. Only I only get one question. That's it. Sorry. All right. Well, thanks, Chris, and um, it was really enjoyable calling <laughs> in. I'm sorry. That's sorry. all right. I'll call you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Just for those of you at home, that was uh, Chet Burks. Yeah. From Accelerate TV. Yeah. And uh, I guess I'll turn my ringer off now. <laughs> I love it. That's good stuff. That was perfect. That was great. Like I. See, that's what you get. You get to roll with it, but it ended up being gold. I love that, and I'm definitely keeping that in the podcast. Um, that's good stuff. Uh, so yeah, uh, Belgium was one, and you said uh, Astrodome. We've heard many times Astrodome's uh, yeah. amazing races, not just the racing, uh, but the atmosphere there. And it's funny that you say that because I was in the infield with Sammy, and I was like, I've never seen anything like this. You know, so many people at an event, and the energy is just insane. He's like. It makes me, he reminds me of Astrodome. And he said, like, I've seen it. And he's like, I've seen it at the Grand National level back at the Astrodome. Yeah. And I was like, shit, that had to be a badass. Um, so, and then somebody went and invented Supercross. Yeah. <laughs> there you Which, go. I mean, they're packing it out for the first two that I've seen. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, so, all right. Um, and I actually, one of the questions, somebody made a comment about uh, me uh, in my comments on Supercross. They said, you cannot say that Supercross is not badass until you've at least ridden one motorcycle, which I said, you're right. Fair. That's fair. Um, so that was funny. But you, you can you can't comment on it from uh, from an observer's point of view. And I think that's something that people... Uh, lose sight of yeah you know not everybody sitting in the stands at a supercross are people who actually ride motorcycles they're there to be entertained well that, and i think yeah. that's something that we lose sight of a little bit in flat track too just yeah. because you don't uh, grab a pair of bars and go around in circles doesn't mean you don't have a vested interest in um what you want to see yeah, so and, I, I, that's something that we as 
we as riders need to remember that not everybody's made to go in circles at high rates of speed. Well, you've so, already got all the viewers that are two wheel fans, pretty much, right? So it's the ones that you that aren't that you're trying to find or make new ones, right? So um, that yep. is a valid point too. Um, all right, so this next question: Having done a fair bit of diving into the history of tracks and racing in the Pacific Northwest, will you be attending the return to the Rock? Well, as of right now, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would love to. I mean, uh, the Pacific Northwest is uh, rich in tt history yeah yeah to a lesser extent flat track but more specific to tt and uh, i you know i i've been to castle rock as a kid you know back in the 70s before the mountain uh blew up mount st helens and i've you know got to race there as a pro afterwards and uh uh i miss going up there so uh hopefully uh some some opportunity comes along that uh um I can justify going, yeah. I love it. Um, I definitely would love to try to make it up there. That's one that I'd always hoped was on the schedule. I loved it when we were up there even for Calistoga, um, which obviously. I just hopefully next year it won't be on fire. No shit. Um, yeah. Um, do you have any the other, the other part of this question uh, that I don't know, it may be too early to do it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out there and ask. Do you have any predictions for the podiums of all three classes? That's pretty pretty tough to answer right now considering that would be tough to answer because we have no idea who's going to be even racing now that there's no buy-in uh we don't know how many people are uh you know maybe do some one-offs if if they're even going to be allowed to if they can get licensed yeah uh you know castle rock is one of those one of those places where the you know if you go back through history and you look at in uh in the 90s when they were racing there on a weekly basis and then uh, also having Grand Nationals. You saw a lot of big names that didn't make the main event. Right. And then there's, a, uh, you know, guys that maybe this was the, some of the only main events they made or made very few. So I think we've lost that in the sport to where, uh, you know, a guy could come and be a hero for a day uh, who's qualified to be a hero for a day. Yeah. Um, I think we've lost that in, in you know the last ten or twelve years. I got if you. Not yeah, long, um, maybe more. Yeah. I'm gonna throw a crazy, wild ass prediction out there. Uh, Jeffrey Carver got his first Grand National win there at Castle Rock, so I'm thinking he might. Whether he's gonna race a full season or not, I haven't even heard of anything of Carver. But it, I personally would love to see Jeffrey Carver come race this race and at least make the podium. That would be badass. Whatever class, yeah. uh, production twins. Super Twins, whatever the hell he wants to do. It would be cool to see for me. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, do you think that AFT needs to make changes in the 450 class to make it feed the Twins with more riders, such as after finishing in the top five, you must move up and, and no going back once you ride a Twin? Uh, wouldn't that give young riders more opportunity in the 450 class? I think there's some merit to the to the idea that you know, the 450 class is the entry level yeah. to professional flat track racing, much like the 250 class is to outdoor motocross or supercross. Yeah. And that um, uh, guys camping out in it for forever or guys that, you know, for lack of opportunity kind of came back and, and for lack of a better term, maybe cherry picked, you know, the, the 450 class for a while. 
I don't like you. I, I, I'm not trying to call anybody out. I just think that you need to have a progression up. In my case, I never had the option to go down. Not that I would have taken it throughout my career. Gotcha. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, um, up until recently, uh, the lack of depth at the entry level pro le- class. I got gotcha. you. They were trying to shrink twins for it to be this elite deal. And then people were like, well, aren't you elite by performance, yeah. you know, already? So it just kind of, it kind of turned people off. There's a lot of guys that quit the sport of flat track because they didn't want to race 450s. Yeah. And now you see some of those guys participating in production twins. Not not to say that, uh, you know, those guys would make main events in the 450 class, but I think some of those guys were just meant to ride framers. Yeah. And that some of those guys were meant to... You know, they didn't grow up on, you know, 450 motocross base bikes. So, I mean, there's no perfect answer to all that. But maybe we can address that a little bit in uh, in next week's show. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of these uh, questions that are hit on. Uh, or it, it, we dive into a little deeper next week um, when we talk through a few things there. Uh, next question. I, 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 will, I, will, I will say this. I'll go on record. I don't think a... a a 10 or 15 or in some cases 20 year experienced professionals belong in the entry level pro class. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, and I think that will be one that's debated as long as we race motorcycles, right? Like uh, a lot of people, but you know, the system has allowed for them to be able to race currently. Well, and yeah, I mean, maybe that needs to change. Maybe, maybe it doesn't, but I think more than anything is that you got to have, you got to have a volume of, potential professionals wanting to enter every year i don't know that that volume is high enough yet i think that's the exact same point i was going to make is that you know once you have the luxury of picking and choosing who you want in that you know to compete in that class is when you can limit that stuff and and make rules like that 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 uh does that so uh so yeah i mean i think that uh and like i said i mean you even see it in supercross in the in the 250 class you got that christian craig who's just running it right now he's what 30 years old father of three yeah and i mean and uh, his the main competition he would have had uh got hurt who moved is now going to run in the east jet lawrence yep so now he's just racing against his older brother uh hunter yeah uh i mean i think 250 east is going to be stacked yeah with a lot of good young riders yep i uh this is this one just came in, uh, and this is from uh, Miss Rhonda Waters. Uh, so listen to this one, and, I, and I, I'd love to hear your answer on this one. What current unsigned singles rider would you choose if you were a team owner? Huh. That's a good one. You, you can think on that if you want to spend some time thinking. We could go to another question, but that one just came in, and I had to throw that one out there right away. I don't know if I can think about that and answer other questions. I'm not that kind of multitasker. Um, but trying to think of uh, off the top of my head, I don't it's even probably yeah. going to be. Yeah, I I don't know who's signed and who isn't. Yeah. Yeah, you know, she probably knows that better than I do. All yeah. I know is who's who's been. Uh, um, we know who's signed. There's about six or seven riders who are committed, but uh, I don't I don't know who else is available 
Yeah, that's. I mean, you don't see that as much as we're seeing the the production. Well, you're not even seeing a b- bunch of production twins that have been signed. You just mostly see that in the super twins class. I mean, obviously, uh, Turner's news with Dalton and uh, Merg and uh, Sadoff w- was announced. But who else? I mean, yeah. and obviously with uh, Essenson, you see his riders are announced. Um, but you don't really see everybody else announcing who's who's uh, who's riding uh, right now. So. Um, that is a, that is a good topic, but, uh, maybe, maybe we'll come back to it if we think of somebody along the way. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely a good question. Um, let's see here. Uh, instead of having arbitrary rules for wheel weights, what about a rule based on crank mass, size, and weight? More mass equals lighter rear wheel and less mass equals heavier wheels allowed. I'm sure someone smarter than whoever asked this question uh, could figure up a formula to make it fair. That's a good point. It it is an interesting concept. Yeah. Um, if if I really understood all of that, I know yeah. what has worked in the past and what hasn't. I mean, I my my background as a rider, um, I went from heavy cranks and flywheels on XRs to light. Yeah. And a lot of that depended on the size of the restrictor. So as well, far as the wheels are concerned, I think, you know, uh, the apparently, I believe the rule states now that with, at least as it pertains to the Indian, that the weight of that crank can't change obviously and there's no more external flywheels that they can put on the end of the crank that's pretty much gone away um but the actual weight of the crankshaft itself i think has to remain as it was originally homologated gotcha so i don't and unless they're going to split cases you know in, in tech i don't i don't know if anybody's going to go in there and and alter that but uh and I think I said this a few weeks ago on the red line rules, making them go to lighter rear wheels, I think actually <laughs> helps them. Yeah. It could under acceleration may not provide more grip, but if they can figure out a way to get grip through the chassis rather than grip through heavy flywheels and, uh, uh, heavy rear wheels, if they can figure out how to get the mechanical grip back. I think light wheels will will actually help them. So, yeah, but uh, would... the concept of you know uh, a formula based on how much a crank weighs uh, and versus how much a rear wheel can weigh, then you're, I mean that's that's a can of worms that uh, I'm not qualified to pop the lid off of. No, I'm with you, and I'm definitely not even going to touch that with a ten foot pole. But I mean that, that, that's what, one thing I love about you know fielding these questions is. You know, sometimes you're scared to ask these questions because you're like, well, there's smarter people involved that, that do this, and there's a reason probably they haven't explored that. But shit, sometimes you know, you know as good as, as well as anybody, that's not the case. Sometimes, sometimes just somebody hasn't thought about something like that. So, who knows? Well, look, I, I will say this on the subject. Um, you know, there was a reason when I was at AFT, I wasn't a part of the technical department. They answered to me because I could give them experience experiential um information right based on my my past but i wasn't the head of the technical department because that's not my that's not my 
area of expertise. It's not your bag, baby. Nope. I got gotcha. you. Um, all right, so uh, this is an this is an interesting one, and I'm interested. To, I'm looking forward to hearing your take on it. What do you think about paved flat track racing as a solution to the cost of track prep and making fans sit around watching water trucks and graders? Well, um, there's there's a lot of merit to that, and it it kind of you got to think about this. So, if you look at some, of, there was one track last year that was almost like pavement although it was about that wide, was Volusia. It was circular. Yeah. And fortunately, the, there wasn't a whole, you know, bunch in the, much in the way of any kind of wrecks or crashes um, that weren't because of some, unless somebody knocked somebody down. I've done a little bit of pavement on flat track, and uh, I don't think there's... Uh, AFT has a budget big enough to be able to handle the air fence damage. You'll have to put air fence up a lot more air fence. Um, the speeds are real high and Dunlop would have to do a total different, um, take on tires yeah. in order to make it work. I like the idea of a consistent racetrack and not having to worry much about the only thing you'd use tear offs for be uh, flake from the flakes of rubber coming off the tires. And maybe, maybe there, you know, we tried that before, but man, uh, I, I'd hate to pay the air fence bill when it's all said and done. Yeah. And I mean, and it's, and it's just not dirt track. It's that's you know? exactly what I was going to say. It's dirt track, baby, and it, it's not dirt track anymore. If if you, if you go to that, to me, it's a completely different series. Um, not not to say I wouldn't watch it. Not to say it wouldn't be awesome to you know entertain. And some of the races have been pretty cool. I mean, yeah. I I raced, I think twice on on paved paved ovals. Yeah. Not counting a dirt track race on concrete inside the Cow Palace in San Francisco. That's you know different. That's an indoor. Yeah. Um, but man, uh, half miles on dirt. Uh, talking some really fast speeds and uh, when you go down on pavement on a flat track bike you actually pick up speed you don't slide as far either I'd imagine maybe I don't know no you actually you slide plenty far really I say I don't yeah. know uh, yeah. it would be fun to watch but to me it's a, it's a different series maybe like a one-off event throughout the year or I don't know, an, an off-season series? I, I, I think I recall recently uh, somebody posted an old video of uh, uh, Will Davis on a... I think he was actually riding a single, big board single of some sort, at Volusia before... Back when Volusia was paved. Wow. In uh, the you know, late 90s. I didn't even know it was paved. Ever. And uh, it was spectacular to watch, but it was just him testing. Right. You know testing what it would be like and he had smoke coming off the tires and everything and his lap times were blazing fast um but uh i don't know how sustainable something like that is gotcha on to the next one are you still working with danny walker american super camp was a total blast uh i'm haven't been to a school in a few years um but i know that all the all the I've trained all those guys well. I'll put it that way. I love it. <laughs> it's a, it's still a good time uh, to go, and uh, every now and then I'll, 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 I get the itch and I'll, I'll maybe go, but uh, haven't been in a while. Gotcha. Um, do you think focusing on twins as the premier class is hurting the growth of the sport? 
Do you think a true premier singles class, not a stepping stone, has better marketability to the masses and easier and and is easier financially on the riders? Now, this is kind of the opposite of what we talked about earlier, right? And instead of uh, he's saying make it its own premier class, um, and I I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's kind of strange. Um, American flat track or flat track racing in a in the United States has always been about twin cylinder bikes at the elite level. Yeah. The problem today is that you know the American motorcycle manufacturers are building these bigger and bigger bigger twins because they can justify higher price points for them. Mm-hmm. They can't justify a lower price point for an American built V twin like the uh the what Polaris does with Indian and what Harley does. So whenever they go lower displacement for their entry levels, they farm it off to a, a foreign country and we end up with stuff like the XG750 which we we've seen the results of that over the last 6 years. Yep. Unimpressive, right? Um they turned a a bike that had $7,500 price point and turned it over to Terry Vance and they did all their magic on it. And it's now a $36,000 motorcycle without the, without the ECU, right? $45,000 with an ECU. Uh, that in itself is part of the problem. Right. Um, I think, uh, and, and we're going to dig into this a little bit next on next week's show. I don't see, flat track uh, fans, all the ones that rode there on Harleys or Indians or any other brand for that matter, uh, I don't see them showing up on 450 motocross bikes or even a, a road version of a 450 motocross bike to watch Springfield or Sacramento or anywhere for that matter. They're showing up on big hogs, but the big, the big hogs with the high price points, I don't think are the answer either from a competition standpoint, but maybe they are from a marketing and it's, how do you figure out how to balance the two? Yeah. I don't want to be in that seat for sure. Cause that's a, that's yeah. a tough one. Um, but yeah. Uh, all right. So this one's interesting. Uh, the record books say you won your first Peoria TT on a wood row tax. But from that point on, it says that you won the rest on a Harley Davidson. But it wasn't actually wasn't it actually the same wood Rotax, a twin shock wood frame with a Rotax engine that you won all your Peoria TTs on? Yes and no. <laughs> uh, obviously, I was a Harley factory rider from 1987. Yeah. Through. 90, 97 when I was done road racing. My very first win was yes on a wood Rotax. Um, okay. It was uh, uh, it was actually six hundred and sixty cc's because we were allowed to go to that that big a displacement on TTs at that time. Um, the following year, um, I, I think in eighty six was still riding the wood Rotaxes, but was a um, 
kind of a a support rider for the Harley factory in 86 and then 87 was full factory rider. Um, and Harley had gone through this whole thing of, you know, buying bikes from Ron Wood. Uh, um, they were essentially wood road taxes that were painted orange and they had a specific amount of serial numbers or whatever. And as a Harley factory rider, <laughs> I had to, I had to uh, race what was called a Harley, right. but the reality is, is it didn't matter if it said Woodrow Tax, Harley Davidson, or Ford Motor Company uh, during those years. Those bikes, at their heart, were uh, um, in the especially the later years. Um, Kenny Tolbert built uh, Woodrow Taxes. Nice, that's good stuff. And, and it wasn't they were just... Ron Wood chassis. They were twin shocks. Um, I did go to a different pair of forks in like, I don't know, 99 or so. And, uh, went to some beefier forks somewhere. It might've been earlier than that. I don't remember, but, uh, they were wood road taxes, um, in disguise. I love it. So yeah. all my 600 national championships were on wood road taxes. Didn't matter what it said on the side. I raced for Harley at the time and in some weird way um political way they were able to justify my bikes being painted with their name on the tank i got but you. they were wood road taxes true and true with a lot of hard work by kenny tolbert and in most of my career as well as mike Camphouse uh and ron wood obviously uh during my my uh rookie and second year I love that. Yeah, I mean, and, and you always hear about these wood bro taxes and how they were the shit, and still are to this day. I mean, the, I almost would argue the people hold them in a higher regard now. Uh, maybe when, when in the heydays when you were racing them and winning these championships. And these well, I'll tell you this: I think there were more wood bro taxes sold than there were XR seven fifties, and damn sure more than there were FTR seven fifties. The only one that and maybe one of our listeners will be able to tell us that, that might be able to correct us is uh, how many uh, bull tacos were Astros were built. Yeah. I don't know that number. I definitely, but I know, I know there were a lot of wood road taxes and they're just still out there being raced today. I love it. Um, I got I, a couple of them here at home myself. They I've don't say them. wood road tax on them, but that's what they are. I dig it. Um, all right, so the couple, there's a couple here on the uh, 2022 rule book. Uh, as you can imagine, ever since the red lines came out, you know, early before Christmas, a lot of folks' heads have been spinning on this rule book. Um, and there's a few questions that we got uh, regarding the rule book. Uh, I don't know how much we're going to be able to go into these, but maybe you can brush brush on a few, uh, hit on a few of these, and give some answers. Um, first one: uh, Why does the AFT rule book say the Super Twins? can replace the crankshaft when there are several bulletins that say you can't do anything to it, at least to these race only engines. I don't know. <laughs> That's a question for Dave McGrath at AFT. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be posed to him. I'm sure. Um, uh, maybe one day down the road, we'll get an answer on that. And I'm sure there's going to have to be some clarifying on, you know, before we get racing evolution on some of that stuff. You got to but... remember something too. Rule books are written in a way that sometimes the interpretation is up to those who are actually enforcing the rules. Yep. So somebody can read something a certain way and interpret those same set of words 
differently than those that wrote it yep or what's intended by the rule but in the end it's aft's interpretation of the rule that matters yep so i don't if they could quote a specific line i could look it up and see if i could find it and then go okay that that's what this means but um i don't know what to tell you other than that i got you and this is another one that <laughs> i'm interested to hear your answer but i don't know how much of an answer we're going to be able to give here uh, I believe restrictions just make better cheaters, is what this person says. Now with electronics, I think it's even easier. Restrict the Indians. It will get better. I have an app on my phone that will lock and unlock apps, or, or I'm sorry, I, this person has an app on their phone that will lock and unlock GPS, track it, and put the windows up. Do they do they not think someone can raise and lower the performance on these Indians in the same way? It's an interesting question. Uh, uh that technology's out there. It is. I mean, I. I mean, I there, there's there. I won't go into specifics, but there's actually been some accusations that this type of technology has been used in the past. Yeah. In the sport. Yeah. Um, but I've. I don't have anything to, I don't have any evidence of that. I, I think it would be easier. This was a long time ago, so I wouldn't be surprised that, um, that those kinds of capabilities aren't available today. Yep. Um, they, they also made a point that, you know, Indian had a quite a few races under their belt with unlimited crankshaft weight, right? Like, uh, and now AFT says no more changing external weight, right? Uh, do they not think that you could add weight to the internal parts or whatever, uh, for uh, or w for whatever track they already have that that data for, right? You can just because you well, I, eliminate I, it externally I, doesn't I think, mean that they can't have it internally. I, I remember reading this a little bit a while back. Um, I believe that the the crank that comes with the crankshaft that comes with the Indian FTR has to remain as what's homologated. Okay. I don't think aftermarket cranks are allowed. They they were allowed with the XR750 back in the days because i remember us going we've run everything from the stock steel rods to tie rods to carbon fiber rods uh different you know different size uh um, wheels we've gone from light to heavy all depending on you know where that the engine was evolving and what what we felt like we needed so um i don't think they have enough time under their belt on the indian to, this is the first time that they're being restricted up until now, they've been limited. Now it's being restricted. Um, so uh, it might be a little early to tell. Yeah, we're not going to know a lot of this until... Uh, until I, I will say, I don't I don't see the Indian performance uh, slowing down in lap times. At least fair. not on half miles and short tracks. If anything, I think the Indians, uh, with the new rules, will actually go around the track faster. Okay. Yeah, and then, maybe you know, not say, in a straight line, and they won't be busting out the the top trap speeds like they had in the past. But I think they'll actually get around the track quicker sense. than they did with the previous rulebook. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, predictions and scenarios here, uh, this person has next question is pretty interesting. Uh, what happens when we get to Volusia and the first two practices, JD Beach? Bronson Bauman and Dallas Daniels are at the top of the leaderboard and every one of those Indians is two to three tenths behind 
consistently. What do you think will happen next? Uh, they're probably going to be a, um, a few people dancing the jig <laughs> in, in elation. And some of them may be actually AFT employees. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> and I mean, some other members of the pit, at the pit area. That, yeah. I mean, that's why that's I, why you make these changes. That's I don't why. think it's I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think so. To be either. honest with you, no, I don't I think, think so. Either. I think I I would if 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 you were to have Jared Meese show up there and test on last year's rule book. Uh, Indian and this year's rule book Indian, I would if he gave it an honest effort, I'd be willing to wager that Jeremy's goes around Volusia on the same day, same track, and back to backs. It go around faster on the new rules than he would the old. Yeah, no, I I agree. I'm um, I'm saying that right now. <laughs> you already we will got, never know. Got but. some predictions you never do, and that's why we race the races. But uh. If history has told us anything, uh, Kenny Tolbert is going to do his homework in this offseason, given the rules he's going to have to work within. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I have full Indian confidence. hasn't been winning because they produced the most horsepower. Yep. 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 Exactly. Otherwise, um, you know, the Yamahas have won every race. Speaking of Mr. Jared Meese, with the change of promoters, will there be singles racing in Springfield? At the at the Springfield Mile in 2022. I don't know. We've got to ask Jeremy's. Does he have a podcast? I don't think he does yet. No. 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 Um, no. I. Be honest with you. Uh, I've I've heard people talking about it. I think I think there's a way to get 450s back to Springfield, but I think it needs to be an award for those that do a do the best on the other miles see the thing about springfield with 65 to 70 horsepower 450s that everybody's claiming that they have is that the entire pack of 18 or 16 riders in the main event will likely be able to stay hooked together in and go around that racetrack nearly wide open yeah which brings into brings inexperienced riders at a place like Springfield's just a different animal than any other mile. Yeah. And that you're on a 450, uh, you're going to be drafting nearly all the way around other riders. And there's a lot of jockeying back and forth. And I've seen this before in, in the lower tier classes in the past, and even, even as back in the eighties where you had tight pack racing, it was like watching nascar at talladega or daytona and um the biggest difference is we're not in roll cages yeah we've got good helmets yeah they've got airbag suits but man uh and yeah we got air fence um just it, it it's it's scary in in the sense that i think we're putting maybe uh, not necessarily our less skilled but less experienced racers there's a difference between inexperience and skill well, and a, a skilled young rider a lot of times would be okay at a place like Springfield rather than one who's uh, maybe less skilled and more experienced. That's where you get these conundrums in, in, in that kind of racing. So I would say the best way 
to reintroduce 450s at Springfield because a lot of people want it. I'm hearing that the manufacturers will want it. Is that you have three mile races prior to that. You've got the Red Mile, you've got a couple of the Red Mile, and you've got Sacramento. Maybe those become a qualifier and where the top 12 in points from those three rounds, which would encourage people to go do some mile racing other than at Springfield. And those are typically going to be guys that are on the, the, the better equipment that's going to uh, show reliability. Um, guys are pretty good riders because they finished in the, the top 12 in points of the three other mile races is a qualifier for the doubleheader at Springfield. I love that idea. At, and then you only limit it to 12. And then like maybe it. next year it you expand it to 14. And then yep. the year after that, you expand it to 16. Just to kind of reintroduce. That way you're not going there with... Because if you had a Springfield mile race right now where all these people could ride their 450s at Springfield, they probably have 80 or 90 potential entrants. Yeah. No, I mean, you're not And you might get some people in there that are only there for, you know, bucket list reasons. Yeah. And that's what you got to kind of keep an eye on. Well, and we saw... I think that it could could reintroduce the 450s there and kind of work your way up to a full field. Make Make it an award because it is a very, very serious race racetrack in my opinion not that the rest aren't but um more can go wrong in that on 450s at springfield than they can most other racetracks yeah and i think i mean i understand it's a completely different ball game when you're talking a tt and a mile track but we saw when these single riders got on peoria last year a little bit right what that inexperience sometimes can can lead to um, and again, apples and oranges kind of in the, in the different types of track and the racing that's, that takes place on those tracks, but similar in the way that, you know, y- you want to kind of ease them into these things, uh, these younger yeah. riders. Um, so, I mean, I, I love that idea. I think that that should definitely be something they should consider if they wanted to ever do bring 450s back, uh, to the mile. And I, like you said, yeah, I mean, they're going to put on a great race, but, yep. um, I'm going to be scared to death watching it, even with the 12 best. Yeah, well, and from and that I year think in that class, as opposed to a Peoria, uh, I think that that would be a race that those riders would love to get into, right? Like, I think there's a little yeah. hesitancy with the younger riders at, at a Peoria because it's intimidating as hell. Um, not to say that Springfield Mile isn't intimidating, um, but like you said, there's other mile tracks that these these riders will have raced on. Um, so I think there's be a little bit more excitement uh, as a rider to to, to yeah. get to that as well. Um, that's good stuff. Uh, so all right. So this next question is uh, concerning making a living as a flat tracker uh, with some deep pockets. Uh, it, you know, with some deep pockets supporting the sport, like a factory ride or a big money sponsor with a real commitment. How realistic is it for most riders? Now, most riders at the top of any level pro flat track to make a living at it? Well, I'd say it's uh, very realistic. Jared Meese is making a living. Yep. Meyer Bauman's making a living. She hasn't won a championship. Shana Texter's making a living. Um, Brandon Robinson has got to be making a living. 
uh, Vanderkoy. I, I don't hear of those guys having side gigs. Right. Um, maybe a few of them in, in uh, Super Twins last year did, but there you know it was only about twelve regulars. So um, Brian Smith made a living. Yeah. He maybe didn't make as much as good a living last year because uh, uh, the nature of his injuries and whatnot, yeah. and the fact that he was going part time. Um, the easiest way to put yourself in a position to make a living flat track is, is very simple. It's to win more races on your way to the pro ranks. It's, yeah. You win races, companies want to attach themselves to you. You win races, don't tell anybody about it. Well, then... You know, nobody knows, right? But uh, not, I think, just about every motorcycle sport in the world, whether it be MotoGP, Supercross. Now, Supercross, yeah, there are more riders making a living in Supercross than there are probably in the 450 class at AFT, right? But I will... For every 12 who are making a living racing Supercross, there's another 40 who aren't. Yep. Yeah. Now, how many riders in AFT Super Twins in 2021 made a living that year? Maybe six, seven? Yeah. In single or in the production Twins, maybe two? And in singles, maybe another half a dozen. Right. So when you add all that up, you're looking at maybe 13, 14 riders made a living where at the end of the year, their checking account had more money in it than you did at the beginning. That's the definition of a professional, in my opinion, is if you got more money in your checking account at the end of the year than you did in the beginning, well, then you're a pro. Yeah. Other than that, it's a hobby. Yeah. Well, so. And 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 like you said winning races will help you get to that level i don't think winning races alone is going to help you stay at that level anymore you have no, to have so no. many things outside of doing well and performing well on the racetrack i think to to make a decent living doing this nowadays than ever before well i, I think that there's this widespread um belief that if you have money going in winning is easier for some, yes. We've seen people show up with the nicest stuff, the biggest truck, the nicest looking paint jobs, the you know latest and greatest, and then zero results right. or very little to speak of in results. That happens everywhere. Yep. I mean, the, the Los Angeles Lakers are struggling right now in the NBA, and they've got the best in the whole damn league going on. Yeah. So. Um, I'd be I'd be willing to bet that uh, the top ten in MotoGP last year, there's typically twenty to twenty two guys. I bet the top ten made a living and the bottom uh, twelve didn't, and that's yeah. at the elite level of the sport. Yep. Um, but the the only reason the bottom twelve were even there was because somebody was paying their way to be there. Yeah. But if they were paying their own way, then they weren't making a living. Exactly. 
Yeah. And that that's going on in all sports. All 100%. sports. Uh, speaking of some road racing, this next question is, how did you feel about going road racing? How did you, how do you feel about your decision to go road racing? Uh, where do you think your win and championship numbers would be if you'd stayed in flat track? I, it, it's too hard to sit back and say that, well, if I hadn't, if I hadn't gone road racing, you know, I would, I'd have, I'd have been champion in, in those years. I'm it's not, not your style. I don't here. see that being Chris no. Carter's style at all. But I, I could, you know, you could look back over the course of my career and you can maybe average it out and s- somewhere in there, maybe I got four wins a year. Um, in the, in the three years that I was off, off doing, uh, doing the other stuff. Although in 95, I was doing both. I still won three races as a part-time dirt tracker and a full-time road racer. So 96 and seven, maybe I get another, you know, six or eight puts me in the mid eighties. Would I've won a championship? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But um, I wouldn't have. I don't think that I would have surpassed Parker's 94 wins. That's saying that I would have won, you know, eight races each year. I only won eight races, more than eight races once in my whole career. Well, and I got to imagine those experiences uh, racing, doing the road racing are, are worth worth that anyway. Yeah, it was... It was something I felt like I felt like r- trying the VR one thousand for me was a gamble. It was a risk mm-hmm. to go out. Um, but I I looked at it this way: I I probably got paid more to go road racing than I would have being Scott Parker's insurance policy in flat track for Harley. Yeah. They didn't need me right. in dirt track. And in fact, when I went road racing, they didn't have, Parker didn't have a teammate in 96 and 97. He was, we were teammates in 95, but 96 and 97, when I was over on the road race side, he didn't have a teammate. And in fact, he was the only Harley guy until he retired. <laughs> so I... I knew that when the VR 1000 came in and I showed an interest in it, it solved the problem for them is it, it I would have got, if I didn't have any interest in road racing, I was going to be without a job because they would need to s- spend the money that they were spending on me flat tracking for their road race program. They mm-hmm. weren't going to kick, you know, Werner and Parker down the road. They were going to, because that just wouldn't fly right. with their dealers. But they could move me around, so I showed an interest in it and gave it gave it you know the college try for for three total years. And uh, from a financial perspective, I probably did better being the B rider on their on their superbike team than I would have continuing to chase Scotty in the dirt. Gotcha for those two years. All right, uh, I think I, I don't just... regret I don't regret that decision one bit. No, no regrets or no regrets. No. Um, no. That's good stuff. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a wrap on the questions I have here. There was one more question uh, related to uh, you doing announcing. Uh, this person's asking if there's, you know, they love what you're doing on the podcast. They love your no bullshit attitude, your, your no nonsense take on things. Uh, will you, 
is there an opening if there's an opening would that be something you would be willing to do uh for broadcast in the future i entertain any and all opportunities to stay involved in flat track whether it be announcing coaching writing whatever um i'm 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 doing this. I'm doing the podcast because it keeps me engaged with it. Because I I, I enjoy being engaged to the sport. So, if something like uh you know announcing came along, I'd yet yeah, certainly entertain it. Yeah, love it. Well, that does it for the questions that I have. Like I said, if your question wasn't answered this week, don't okay, worry. You didn't have those. The our guests had or our our fans had those. Do you have any questions? Man, I you're, have. You were reading all their questions. Well, you're putting me on the spot now. I, I don't like. Uh, have you enjoyed doing? Have you enjoyed this podcast? This podcast has been um, good for me. Yes. Yeah. One, it's kept me involved in the sport. In the in the, it kept, it's kept. I shouldn't say involved. It's kept me engaged. Yeah. Um. And it's been rather therapeutic. I miss going to the races every week. I watch them every week from home. And uh, I relish, you know, any and all opportunities that might find me back to the racetrack on a more regular basis. Yeah. But it's hard for me to justify going just to watch. Now, I did go watch last year um, a, a race so that we could talk about it on our show. Yeah. And uh, I in, thoroughly enjoyed sitting in the stands and, uh, and, and watching the, the racing from that perspective because I never had yeah. at, the, at this level since I was a kid. Yep. And uh, so it was fun. But, yeah, I, I, I'm not – there's always a chance. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah, and uh... – I don't know. Should I drop? Should I drop it now, or should we wait till next episode? Well, I I think we should we should have some some warning. <laughs> I'm with you. No, and you're not wrong. I it I I don't even know how to say this, or we'll probably get into it in in a little bit more depth next week. Um, and I don't know how much of an explanation I I feel I have to give or I owe anybody, but I I will be. Uh, I will be stepping away from the sport for a little bit, uh, maybe for a while. I don't know. I, I, I just I feel like there's stuff that I need to kind of focus on. Um, that doesn't mean that, that car and two wheels will be going away forever. Uh, I'm just going to be uh, stepping away from being involved on a weekly basis, uh, not just from this podcast, but from all podcasts, uh, from everything that I'm doing in the flat track world. Uh, I, I love it more than I can even put into words ever, uh, but there's a... Uh, there's a time in everybody's life when they need to focus on themselves. And I'm at 41 realizing that I probably need to do that now. So I think I'm going to do that and, uh, made the decision a couple of weeks ago. It's not an easy decision for me to make. Uh, but I got to tell man, the, the conversation that we had when I let you know, uh, was, was, was great for me. Uh, I think that, uh, the way that you took it, the, the grace that you had in that conversation and, and the way that you're handling it is helping me realize that it's some, it's okay to take a time for yourself. Uh, and like I said, I've always built things for a lot of people and helped people, uh, make things. And I just need to make Chris Carter. Okay. For a while now. So I'm taking a, taking a break, taking a step away. I love the sport too much to stay away forever, I think. But, uh, 
but I do need to take the break. So. Well, I, I, I gotta say these last, uh, 44 episodes plus a couple others that we've done <laughs> ha- has been a lot of fun and very educational for me. Yeah. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed working with you and I know that I came to the right guy when it was time for me to, to be able to, to, to put my opinions out there in the, in the, the flat track universe, so to speak. Yeah. And, uh, I appreciate all you've done to help build the car on two wheels podcast. Um, for those of you who are listening, tuning in, we do have next week's episode where I'm going to lay out what I think the future of, of flat track should look like um, from the ground up, not just at the professional level. Um, that will be uh, the the last car on two wheels podcast kind of in this delivery method or in this format. Um, I don't know if the podcast will exist beyond uh, episode 45. I suspect that it will, just don't know where yet. And uh, I look forward to uh, um, not saying goodbye, but more like see you later. Right. Just Can't. don't know where yeah. or when. And uh, Carter, thank you very much for uh, for being on this journey with me. I appreciate it very much and look forward to um, having our, our last show together uh, next week. Absolutely, man. And, and thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to do so, man. That's cause one of the things that I live for is to help people build things and help people tell their story. You got a hell of a story. I've been uh, honored to be part of this for 44 episodes, 45 being the, the last one next week. So uh, it's been a hell of a ride and uh, look forward to, you know, getting that one out there next week and figuring out what the hell's next for Carter. So yeah, it's good stuff, man. I appreciate it. Well, I wish you the best of luck in what, uh, whatever it is you decide, whatever whatever path you decide to go down. Um, uh, you're always welcome at the Flat Tracks, that's for sure. Love it, man. Thanks. All right. Well, that's it. That's it for episode 44. You want me to shut it down or do you want to shut it down? I don't know. <laughs> hey, this is kind of your goodbye, so let's, right. uh, let's let you say your farewells this week. I love it. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, sending these questions, guys. As always, they're, they're great questions for Chris. Uh, thank you, Chris, for answering the questions. Uh, this is the final Ask Car Anything uh, in this format. Who knows? There may be one down the road. Uh, I know these fans love hearing from you, so I'm sure it won't be the last time that they're throwing questions out to you uh, to get answered and to hear your opinion because you do have that no-nonsense, no-bullshit attitude that, that people love and, and are drawn to. So that'll do it for Episode 44. We're shutting it down. We'll see you guys next week for the final episode, episode 45 of Car on Two Wheels. See you, Chris. See you, Chris.